0: Visit OpenBibleNJ.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service.
1: And so as we continue to search for a senior pastor today, we have a guest speaker with us and his name is Mike Brown. He's the pastor of West Florida Baptist Church in Milton, Florida. And I've known Mike since I was in seventh grade. And so Mike, please know embarrassing stories about me this morning. I'd appreciate that. Um, but as Mike comes to speak for you, I want you to know you're, you're going to hear from a guy this morning um, that just has a heart for people, that just loves the community that God has placed him in. Um, my senior year of college, I was able to minister with him for an entire year as an intern. And I just got to see how he cared and ministered and loved people and did hard things in a beautifully graceful way. And him and his family, you can see there on the screen, he has Shepard with him this morning. And shepherd has been with him all weekend. And he's been speaking with us all weekend at our Men's Renew weekend. And we had about 30 men that met on Friday and Saturday and just reported to by the word of God. But I know he's going to be a blessing to you this morning, church. So as Mike comes to speak, would you welcome him to our pulpit this morning? <laughs> Well, amen. If you have your Bibles, go to Psalm
2: 23 this morning. Psalm 23. My uh, son and I, I almost said my wife and I, my son and I have had a wonderful time being here. We've really enjoyed this church. Richard said not to tell any embarrassing stories. I honestly don't have too many embarrassing stories about him, but that senior year of college, every Sunday, him and another intern, Gibb, they came to our house, they ate lunch with us, they slept on our couch, and we got to know him really well. So, I feel like Richard's one of our adopted children, just a big part of our family. And uh, so it's been great being up here this week, being able to catch up with him. I'll tell you what. I the state of New Jersey is growing on me. All right, sometimes New Jersey gets a little bit of a, a bad rap, you know, it's not necessarily like the number one vacation destination, but I've never personally lived in this state. My mom and dad live here. They live about an hour north of here up in the Princeton, New Brunswick area. So we were able to spend some time with them and uh, I've been a visitor to the state for the past 12 years since they've moved here. And every time I come, I, I, I'm starting to appreciate and love the area more. And then I came here, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this area. This is a beautiful community. This church family has been a huge blessing and an encouragement to me and my son. I'll tell you what, I thoroughly enjoyed the men's conference, getting to know all of, all of you. And then when I walked in this morning, I felt like I was right at home in the deep south This is a friendly church and I'm not just saying that like I sincerely mean that people weren't just saying hi They were saying hi and actually talking and going a little bit further So I want to commend you for that and I want to just challenge you to keep up the good work This is a wonderful place and I know God has some special things in store uh, for you And uh, we're going to be praying for you as you search for a pastor And what God wants to do in your hearts and lives as we go throughout this year Now I'm excited about your goal for missions Man, to have a missionary on, in every single major country by the year 2035, that is a huge, massive goal. But we serve a God who tells us in his word that for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And so you know what? If you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. And so I love big goals And I love how you're praying, and I love the heartbeat for missions. I really enjoyed Brother Caleb this morning in Sunday school. He had an incredible challenge. He's got some big goals for what they want to do over in Zambia. They want to reach 100 Muslims for Christ. That's a powerful goal right there. And the gospel is powerful enough to change lives. And so this morning where I want to go with the message is kind of similar to where Brother Caleb went this morning in Sunday school. He challenged you about being salt in this world. And you know what I want us to do this morning when we're thinking about missions? I, I really want us to take some time to examine our hearts. The Bible tells us to keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. You know, if you want to put a missionary in every single major country by the year 2035, your heart is going to have to be so full of God and overflowing with who he is and what you're doing inside of you. You're going to have to be burdened and passionate about your community you're going to have to embrace the fact that you yourself are a missionary and the more you do to reach this community for christ hey the more god's going to do with your church in reaching this world for christ and so it starts and begins right here in our hearts and i'm going to be in psalm 23 this morning a very familiar comforting passage of scripture and the title of my message this morning is simply this it's experiencing goodness in troubling times Experiencing goodness in troubling times. How many of you would say the past year and a half has been the craziest year and a half that you have ever experienced in your entire life? Yeah, I see some hands going up. What I find to be interesting too is especially when I see some hands going up of some older people who have been there and done that. And when they start saying, this is unlike anything we've ever experienced before, I start sitting up and paying close attention to the things that are going on around us. I'll share with you some of the lessons that I've been trying to learn and pay close attention to what God's trying to teach me over the past year and a half. You know, one of the things is this, the the frivolousness of so much of our life. The frivolousness of so much of our lives. Just the other day on Wednesday, I was getting ready to to come up here, and Wednesday was a busy day. We had a uh, a groundbreaking ceremony for a new building that we're getting ready to put up. God's been blessing our ministry in Florida. It's been exciting and wonderful. Then I had a staff meeting with our school and I had to get ready for Wednesday night and do church and then I had the house things to take care of. I had to get the the lawn mowed before I left and I had to get the pool cleaned and then I had to spend some quality time with my kids because I was getting ready to leave for a few days and there's all of these things that are just vying for your attention and they're coming at you from every direction and I about Mid afternoon, I started just getting stressed, and I'm like, Man, I am so stressed out right now with all of these big things that are going on. And then, you know what? I got a a text about a man in our church whose dad had just passed away from COVID, and he didn't even, wasn't even able to make it up there in time. It just went quickly. And then I, I texted another lady in our church whose husband's been on a ventilator for the past couple of weeks. And then I was reminded about a pastor friend of mine whose 18 year old son. Just graduated from high school, and within about a week of graduation, he passed out randomly one day. They ended up finding a brain tumor. He's been battling cancer. I mean, not a brain tumor, I'm sorry. It's a big mass inside of his chest that's attached to his heart. It's a very rare form of cancer. He's facing surgery in the next week or two. And you know what, all of a sudden I realized how frivolous the things that I'm stressed and worried about are in my life. Man, do you understand that eternity is real? Heaven and hell are real. There is a world out there that is lost and dying, and there are things that matter. There are things of extreme importance, and so often what stresses us out are are just frivolous things that don't matter. You know, I've learned over the past year and a, a half how powerless we really are. You know, we've gone to some extreme measures, shutting down an economy, shutting down a world to to try to to slow the spread of a virus. And you know what? At the end of the day, ultimately, no matter how much bravado we have, no matter how smart we think that we are, we really are powerless when it comes to when God says it's time for us to go. There's nothing that we can do to stop it. Am I right? We're powerless. You know what else I've learned about our equality? how, How one we really truly are. Now, that might sound bizarre because the last year and a half has been marked by division and polarization. I mean, you turn on the news and it's just, it's crazy what's happening, the things that are taking place in our world today. But you know what? I'm reminded about how small, how it's a small world after all. It really truly is. We turn on the news and and maybe there'll be a new uh, virus or a new variant that's in a country today. And guess what? It's going to be here tomorrow, you know, and it's coming like that. And we've seen that sweep through the world. And you know what else I've realized is that disease, it does not know ethnic boundaries or national borders. It affects the rich. It affects the powerful. It affects the famous. It affects the poor. It affects all of us equally. I'm reminded of the fact that that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are all sinful human beings. And we are all in desperate need of a savior and i'm reminded of what god's word says that one day that there's going to be one family in christ out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation and i'm thankful for a church that's in the midst of troubling times in the midst of all kinds of things swirling they have a heart for missions and they're trying to reach people with the gospel of jesus christ because at the end of the day we all have the same need and that need is jesus I realize too our our, our loss of control. <laughs> How many of you do well with chaos? Is there anybody in here that just thrives in chaos? There are some people. I have a guy on our staff. His name's Greg. It's like the second a hurricane hits the Gulf of Mexico, he comes to life. We're like, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> And I'll tell you what, if if that hurricane comes our way and everything gets turned upside down, like he goes into action and he does a phenomenal job at like mobilizing people and bringing things together and getting things done and it's just like, there's just something inside of him that loves that kind of stuff. My wife on the other hand, man, she writes everything down and if that schedule doesn't go according to plan, well, let me just say, life is not that fun. (laughs) Don't tell her I said that, happy wife, happy life. But man, over the past year and a half, we've realized how completely out of control it really truly is. And you know what? We've had to simplify our lives. We've had to just really just take it a day at a time. You know what? That's often what God wants us to do. He's got tomorrow under control. There's no need for us to worry and get stressed about the things that are in the future, the things that are out of our control. Our God has it under control. He wants us to just be right in the center of his will That's where he wants us to live, trusting him. And this is great. All of these things are so good. This is exactly where God wants us to live because only when we recognize how truly helpless we are can we open up our eyes to the beauty of a passage like Psalm 23. And you know what verse 6 says, and I'm going to work my way through this, but I'm going to start at the end, and then we're going to work our way back here. Verse 6 says this, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. That is a beautiful picture there. That word follow means to pursue. Do you realize that when you got up this morning, you know what was sitting there waiting for you as your alarm clock went off and as you got out of bed? The goodness and mercy of God. You know what left the house with you as you got in your car and you headed to church this morning? The goodness and mercy of God. You know what's going to go home with you this afternoon? The goodness and mercy of God. You know what's going to meet you tomorrow morning when you get up and you start your work week and you go about your life? The goodness and mercy of God. It follows us. It pursues us. Whether we want His mercy, whether we want His goodness, whether we're paying attention to it or not, does not change the fact that His goodness and mercy is following us every single day of our our lives and when we're talking about our heart and we're when we're talking about how all the issues of life come out of our heart if we can be believers that understand what it's like to experience that goodness even in the midst of troubling times and if we are embracing that goodness and that mercy man what kind of difference can we make in this world for Christ there's a whole host of people right outside of these doors right here in Williamstown New Jersey that are looking for hope. And God has left us here in this world to point people to Jesus Christ. And we ought to be people that are living above the troubles, experiencing that goodness and mercy with the joy of the Lord overflowing out of our lives. So let's just jump right into this this morning. I'll just walk right through this passage, and we will be done. The first thing that I want us to understand, if we're going to experience this goodness, you have to trust the shepherd. You have to trust the shepherd. Look at what Psalm 23 verse 1 says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, I hope that we never become too familiar and complacent with familiar passages of Scripture. That is a powerful statement right there. The Lord is my shepherd. You know what that statement is declaring? That there can be a very real intimate relationship between a human being and his creator. Only a holy God that we just sung about, we can have a relationship with him. You know what that statement is declaring? That we are cherished objects of divine diligence. And when I, uh, uh, as I've been working at West Florida Baptist Church, my father-in-law was my pastor for years, and he had a heart for missions. And one of the statements that he used to make all the time is that he said, the heart of God is Missions. And at first, I, I thought about, at first when I heard that, I, I'd never heard anybody say that before like that. And the more I thought about it, the more that I, I grew and I realized he's 100% right. The heart of God is a mission's heart. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, sent his son Jesus into this world so that we could have a relationship with him. When you think about the fact that we are cherished objects of divine diligence, I mean, before God even created this world, He knew that we would sin. He knew that we would fail. He knew that Adam and Eve would fall to the temptation of Satan. And before He even created the world, He devised a plan of redemption. He already laid it all out how it was going to happen. About 1,500 years after Adam and Eve sinned, He came to a man by the name of Abram. And Abram was a nobody, and he was raised by an idolater. And you know what? God made a great promise with him, and he said, Abram, out of you I'm going to make a great nation through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. And Abraham believed God by faith. And as you read through the Old Testament, man, you learn about the nation of Israel, and you learn about their sacrifices, and you learn about their worship, and you know what all of it was pointing to? Jesus Christ. And then you get to the New Testament, and Galatians 4.4 says... When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin. When you think about the fact that we are cherished objects of divine diligence, every single thing that needed to intersect happened at the exact right time when Jesus came. Do you realize that it was the, known as the, the Pax Romana at that time? It was a time of relative world peace. Do you realize that the Romans were building roads that would allow the gospel to spread easily throughout the world? Do you realize that that Greek was almost a sort of a universal language so that the gospel would be able to spread quickly? God ordained and organized all of these things. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and when it was exactly the right time, he sent his son into this world, and his son went to a cross, and he died so that we could be saved, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could go boldly before the throne of grace. Our God's heart is a missions heart, and he loves people, and he loves you, and he loves me. And there's a world out there that is desperate for the good news of Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I love the end of that verse too. It says this: I shall not want. I shall not want. Is there anybody here today that can just say I am perfectly content? When I woke up this morning, there was absolutely nothing that I could think of that I could possibly want. Most likely, that's probably not the case. When I wake up, I can think of a lot of things that I want. But you know what? God wants us to get to the point where we don't want. And when we trust the shepherd, you know what the shepherd's job is to do to provide everything that the sheep needs? He provides food and water and protection and safety. A sheep has absolutely nothing to worry about in the hands of a good shepherd. You know, the fact is, if Jesus loved us enough to go to a cross to die for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. Do you think he loves you enough to provide and meet your needs for today? Do you think he loves you enough that he wants what is absolutely best for your life? He absolutely does. And so when our hearts start spinning out of control and when our worries start rising to the top, no, we just have to remember that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We've got to trust the shepherd. Not only do we need to trust the shepherd, but we need to drink still water. We need to drink still water. Look at verse two. It says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Man, when I used to read this verse, I I grew up in Pennsylvania. I grew up in the Pocono area right off Interstate 80. We actually lived near Bloomsburg and I lived over there for a while and it was absolutely beautiful. And I love, I live in Florida, The grass does not grow good in Florida, okay? I get so jealous of the lawns that I see up here. And some of you might be like, you can have these lawns. We have to mow them all the time. Our grass looks like it's terrible. And no matter how much you water it, no matter how much money you spend on it, it just keeps dying over and over again. And I keep buying more sod and laying it down over and over again. And I'm just reminded of when I I think of that verse in verse 2, I always used to think of, A nice summer day when there's not a lot of humidity and there's those cool breezes blowing and you're you're laying out under a tree and we used to have a creek behind our yard in one of the houses that we lived and that's what I always pictured verse two to be just like this sheep paradise like the Hawaii for sheep all right that's where God takes you but the fact is it's not really that way these green pastures and still waters are in the midst of a desert All right. Where where sheep thrive is in arid, dry locations. That's where they thrive. I, I had the opportunity to travel to Israel. And as I was driving around Israel in a bus, I wasn't seeing a whole lot of lush green pastures like that. I was seeing a lot of mountains and a lot of brown and just little patches of grass. And the fact of the matter is, the the picture started becoming really clear. These green pastures and still waters, they're in the midst of the enemy. They're in the midst of a wilderness. And the fact is this, we live in a broken, fallen, messed up world, don't we? Until we step into the presence of Jesus, we're going to be living in a wilderness, in a sense. There's trouble all around us. But in spite of that trouble, you know where the shepherd wants to take us? To green pastures. And to still waters. What's interesting about this verse is he says he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. In a book that I read, um, written by uh, Philip Keller, it was a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. He says this, it's almost impossible to get sheep to lay down unless four requirements are met. You know what these four requirements are? They have to be free from all fear. They have to be free from tension. If they are annoyed by one of their fellow sheep, there's no lying down. They have to be, yeah, some of you already know where this is going. (laughs) Picking up on that. (laughs) They have to be free from aggravation. They won't rest as long as they're being tormented by flies and parasites. And they have to be free from hunger. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like us? We don't sleep very well. We don't rest very well because of all of the annoyances and the worries and the fears of life. You know what the Good Shepherd does? He makes us to lie down in green pastures. When we learn how to trust the shepherd, that peace that passes all understanding is gonna flood our soul. And then he leads us beside the still waters. Now, I already mentioned the fact that sheep thrive in dry, arid places where water can be hard to come by. There's three beautiful pictures about how sheep get their water. One of them is early in the morning. You know, one of the things the shepherd does is he gets the sheep up early in the morning while the dew is out there. And as they go eat, their, as they go eat the grass, they're also getting the moisture that they need. And so you know what they do? They, they rise early and they go get the nourishment that they need. And you know what we need to do? if we're going to drink still waters, we need to get up early and we need to spend time with God and in His Word. Because you know what? When the sun gets hot and when the pressures of life start piling on as the day goes on, if we've spent that time with Jesus, we're going to have what we need to sustain us and to help us get through the day. You know what else? We can drink it peacefully. This is another beautiful picture. Um, One of the ways that they would get water is sometimes when the rare occasion when it would actually rain over there, they would have these flash floods that would come off the hills and the mountains and it would, it would fill up all of the, the ravines and the ditches and it would come flooding by, raging really fast. Well, a sheep who's filled with worry is not going to go drink out of water that's, that's raging and that's running fast like that. And so you know what the shepherd would do? He would, he would dig off to the side a little pool. He would kind of divert the water into a pool where it would just sit on the side and it would be calm and it would be still. <laughs> you know what else our Savior does for us? I can promise you this no matter what you're facing and no matter what we're going through in life. Every single day, if we would just stop, we can find a place where there is some still water that's just sitting there waiting for us to drink. When we turn to Jesus and when we when we say, God, I need your help and I need your strength. You know what we're going to find still water that we can drink. You know what else? How else the sheep got water? A lot of it came from wells. And they would, they would lower, the shepherd did all that work. There's no sheep going over there lifting the water out of the wells. They're not able to do that. And so the shepherd would work hard, and he would lower uh, the, the bucket into the well over and over again until he filled up the trough so that they would have something to drink. And you know what else is true? Our God has provided everything that we need for every single day. All we got to do is go to the shepherd, and we'll be able to drink whatever you're faced with today, whatever you're going to be faced with tomorrow, Jesus has already done the work and he's given us his word and he's given us his presence and he'll meet us wherever we're at in life. So we've got to trust the shepherd and we've got to drink still water. You see where this is going to? I'll tell you what, I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. By the time 2035 hits here, if we experience this kind of goodness on a regular basis, And if we put these things into practice in our lives, oh, he's going to be overflowing out of us. Other people are going to see a difference in our lives. They're going to come to Jesus. These pews will be filled up. This community can be changed. And the more that we change here, the more that we can change this world for Jesus Christ. We've got to believe that with every single fiber of our being. So not only that, not only do we trust the shepherd, not only do we drink still water, but we also feast on God's promises we feast on God's promises. Look at verse 3. It says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Man, when you're able to lie down in those green pastures, when you're able to just get that peace and that, 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 those moments of, of just finding that break in the midst of all of the things that are going on around us, that's when our soul starts to be revived. That's when our soul starts to be restored. And you know what? When we quiet ourselves and when we go to drink those still waters, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start talking to God. But you know how we talk to God and you know how we know God? It's through his word right here. And as we pray and as we need encouragement, you know what we're going to start doing? We're going to start feasting on God's promises that are found in this book. You know, promises like Philippians four nineteen. "...but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus." How about Romans 8, 32, and we know that all things will work together for good to them that love God. You know what's amazing about that verse is it doesn't say that all things are good. I heard a preacher say that years ago, and it really resonated with me. Not everything that happens in our life is good. Even as we trust the shepherd and we follow him, we still live in the midst of a broken, fallen world. We're going to go through struggles and trials and problems in this life. But the promise is true that he, God, has a way of taking those things and turning them around and using them for good in a way that only a miracle-working God could ever be able to do. Man, I, I cling to that promise. All things will work together for good to them that love God. You know, in Isaiah 41, he says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Man, do we need to be strengthened by God? Do we need help? Do we need to be upheld by God? Absolutely we do. And you know what he promises to do? Each and every single one of those things. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Uh, I think of 2 Corinthians where the apostle Paul said, my grace is sufficient for the, uh, in my weakness I'm made strong. (laughs) I think about that. Paul went through about as much as any human being could ever go through in life. Man, he experienced persecution for lifting high the name of Jesus. He experienced shipwreck. He was in prison. He was beaten. I mean, he had a thorn in his flesh. He begged God. He had this This infirmity, we don't know what it is, but he begged God over and over again to take it away from him. And finally, God didn't answer that prayer. But you know what he said? My grace is sufficient for thee. He found out that God was enough and that even in his weakness, That God was greater than his weakness. And God was getting glory through the things that were happening and taking place in his life. You know, when we're discouraged and we're downcast, you know what we need to do? We need to turn to God's word. And we need to remind ourselves of his promises. And we need to feast on his promises. And we need to soak it up and allow God to restore our soul and to bring life back into us. I'm burdened for Christians in America today. I'm burdened for the church Now, I was talking to the men about this the other day. I've had the privilege of of growing up in a Christian home. My my mom and dad got saved when I was two years old. When I was 10, my dad became a pastor. He surrendered to God. He wholeheartedly, I mean, he just wholeheartedly followed God. He gave up a good job, a good career to go become a pastor of a small country church in western New York where he was only making $10,000 a year with seven kids. That's insane. (laughs) That's what my grandparents told him. But you know what? God provided and met our needs every single step of the way. I've been in church my entire life. I've had the wonderful privilege of it. I'm a second generation Christian. But you know what I've also observed about the church? Is that we've been talking about all the amazing things that God's done in the past. And it's almost like we've gotten this bunker type mentality, even too. It's like the Lord's gonna return. That day's gotta be coming soon. And I believe that He is gonna return, and it's gotta be coming soon. But you know what? We don't go hide. We've got a world that needs to be reached with Jesus Christ. That means you've got family members, you've got coworkers, you've got people that are lost, that need to hear that there's a God in heaven that loves them and cares about them. And we're living in the church age, which is a day of grace, and it's a day of mercy, and we've been put in this world for such a time as this. And I am tired of weak and powerless Christians. I'm tired of churches dying and falling off the scene. I'm tired of Christians being a reproach to God's name. You know why? Because we don't trust the shepherd, and we don't experience his goodness even in the midst of troubling times. And that has to change. God's putting your church through what he's putting your church through for a reason to grow you and to strengthen you. And I pray that your unity becomes stronger. And I pray that you become more determined to follow Christ and to accomplish the mission, which is to lift high the name of Jesus and to point people to Christ because we cannot afford to lose any more churches and we can't afford not to have light shining in these communities. We need Christians that know and understand God and experience his goodness and that rise up with the banner of Jesus Christ and go to a world that's in desperate need of him. And we're not going to get to that place unless we feast on God's promises. And we're not going to be the light that God wants us to be if we're worried and stressed out and fearful and hiding and all of those other different things. This world needs Christ. And we are the light that he's left here in this world to point people to him. So feast on God's promises and let him restore your soul. Verse 4. The next point that I'm going to mention is this. Look forward to what's next. Look forward to his next. We trust the shepherd, we drink still waters, we feast on God's promises. We look forward to what's next. Look at verse 4. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. To me, this is the weirdest verse in this entire chapter. Everything is so positive. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And then you get to verse 4. And he's talking about leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know about you, but I don't like the valley of the shadow of death. And so it raises the question. Why in the world would a good shepherd ever take his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death? Through a dangerous place? And there's only one logical conclusion to that question. You know what happened over here? They ran out of food. There's nothing left for them here. And you know what? Over here on the other side, there's something better that's coming. But the only way to get from here to there is through the valley of the shadow of death. It's through struggles. It's through trials. It's through hardships. And we know that we live in a sinful, broken and cursed world. And so it's going to be part of life. We're going to find ourselves at times where, man, everything was good over here. But God's got something more for us. He's got something he wants to grow us in. And so he takes us through times of transition that, that feel heavy and oppressive. And, and you almost even wonder, God, are you still there? And do you love me? And do you care about me? Make no mistake about it. He absolutely does. And there's something better that's coming. He's leading you to the other side. And you know what? Even if it's death even if it's death, even if that pastor friend that I was telling you about earlier this morning loses his 18-year-old son to cancer. He knows Jesus Christ as a Savior. And what's on the other side? It's the presence of Jesus where there's fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. For the child of of God, we can always look forward to what's next. You know what else is amazing about when we find ourselves in that valley? Who's with us? The good shepherd is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, for thou, art with me. Thy rod, your rod, and your staff, they comfort me. He's right there. His rod and his staff is protecting us from the enemy that's around us. His rod and his staff pulls us close. Inside of him, you know, one of the prayers that I pray for people that are going through some of the most difficult hardships is that they would experience God in a more real way than they've ever experienced him at any other point in life. And you know what I believe, too? When you go through those valleys, all of a sudden your experience of God, you go from knowing about him to truly knowing him in an intimate and personal way. That's how our God works, because he's right there with us and he pulls us close. And so even when we find ourselves in the midst of those crazy times, Hey, keep your eyes focused on what's coming next. Look forward to what's next. Something better is coming. And the last thing I want to point out is this. We get to live in victory. If we're going to experience God's goodness in troubling times, we get to live in victory. Look at verse 5. I love this verse. It says, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. All right, so to understand this, to, to, to give you a clear picture of what he's talking about here, that word table, in Spanish and in so many different languages, it's, it's Mesa. It's, uh, I think I'm saying that right. I hope I'm saying that right. But it's a Mesa, okay? And the idea is in some of these areas where sheep, where they thrive, in some of these arid, dry places, in the summertime, there would be these like these tablelands that were a little higher up, and the shepherd would go out there a couple times early in the year to prepare them. But when the time came just right, he would lead his sheep and he would take them up to these tablelands where it was just like it's feasting time almost. It's it's just it's the right time of year and the grass is ready and it's plentiful up there. But you know what else follows the sheep up there? The enemy, like wolves and uh, mountain lions, or uh, you know just Uh, Whatever it is that was around them, their enemies would follow them up there. Do you get the idea of what's happening here? Here are the sheep, and they're feasting on these table ends. God prepares a table for us, okay, in the presence of our enemies. And you know who's sitting there surrounding them, just waiting for one of those sheep to wander off? Or just waiting for the shepherd to turn his back so he can sneak in there and pounce on them? Oh, the enemy's surrounding us. Is that picture clear, too, of where we're at in our world today? Yeah, we have an enemy that's relentless. And we live in a world that is broken. We've talked about all of that. But God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And our good shepherd, he's never going to turn his back. He's never going to stop paying attention. He's never going to stop looking. And as long as we're close to the shepherd, those enemies cannot touch us. And we're safe. You know what else he does? He anoints our head with oil. You know, in the midst of the summertime, the bugs would start getting really bad. And sheep don't have hands to, like, swipe the bugs off of their face. They're pretty much defenseless against them. And so you know what the shepherd would do? They would take this oil, this tar-like substance, and they would rub it all over that sheep's head. And it would provide some sort of protection against the flies and the gnats and all of these different things that, that come up in the summertime. You know what God's given us? The Holy Spirit who's synonymous with oil in the Bible. He anoints our head with oil. You know what our shield and our protection is against the enemy and against the annoyances and the aggravations of life? It's God and it's his presence that's in us. And he's prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And he anoints our head with oil. He, we have everything that we need to experience the goodness of God. And that leads us to verse six, where it all closes, where he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know how God wants us to live? In victory. In victory. We are on the winning side. Yes, things are spiraling out of control. Yes, there's chaos all around us, but I know who's sitting on the throne, and I know who has a plan, and I know who wants what's best for me, and that is my God, and that is my Savior, and I refuse to live in defeat, and I refuse to cower to the enemy, and I don't want to be a weak and powerless Christian, and it's not because there's anything special or strong about me. I am weak. I am powerless. I struggle with all of these same things that you struggle with. I know what it's like to fear. I know what it's like to worry. I know what it's like like to be stressed. I know what it's like to just get out of whack just quickly and easily, but as long as I run to my Savior, and as long as I put my trust in Him, and as long as I spend time in His Word, and as long as I'm feasting on His promises, and trusting that He's got working all things together for my good, I can live in victory, and God can use me for His honor and for His glory. It's missions month. This is a message that our world desperately needs to hear. Man, we don't have to live hopeless lives. We don't have to be defeated. We don't have to wonder, what's the point? Is life just meaningless? Is it vanity? Like Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, no, there is purpose. And there is a God, and there is a Savior, and there is a relationship that is waiting. But until we live in victory, what we do with missions... And what we do to send people around the world and what we do in our community is going to be weak and powerless. And maybe we'll have some little results here and there, but we will be living far below the privileges that God has given to us. We'll be living far below what He intends for us until we get to the point that we are truly experiencing the goodness of God, that goodness and mercy that's following us all the days of our life. we got to take advantage of it. And we got to have joyful hearts that are filled with hope in God. And as we do that, oh, my goodness, he'll revive our soul. We'll stay on mission. We'll reach this world for Christ. We won't have any problems giving to missions at the end of this month when when those commitments come up because what, what else would we do? What better thing could there be to spend with our money than to send people around the world to reach reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ that'll be something that just is natural and easy if we do what it says here if we take full advantage of what God's done for us and what he's given us in his word heads are bowed eyes are closed first question I want to ask you this morning is just simply this do you know for sure that Jesus is your savior You have a relationship with God. We talked about the fact that God's heart is a mission's heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What I'm not asking you this morning is if you've heard about God or if you even believe in God, you know that he was born at Christmas, you know that he died on the cross and rose again at Easter. What I'm asking you is this. Do you know for sure that you have a relationship with him? Do you remember that specific time in your life where everything came together and it finally made sense? Hey, I'm a sinner. I probably don't have to convince anybody in here this morning that they're sinners. We all know that we are broken. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. I find myself in that spot in life over and over again. We are broken. But the Bible tells us that because of our sin, we deserve to die and to be separated from God for all of eternity. In a very real, literal place called hell. What do you have to do to die and go to hell nothing you just have to be born and live and sin and that's where we're going that's all of us we all find ourselves in that place but that's where the cross of jesus comes into play the punishment for sin was death and on that cross jesus took your place and the bible says that all we have to do is believe on the lord jesus and we can be saved do you remember that time in your life where all of those things intersected and they made sense and you believed on jesus you gave your life to Him. You asked Him to be your Savior. Is there anybody that would slip their hand up this morning and say, you know what, Pastor Mike, I've never done that before. Would you please pray for me? Is there anybody at all that would slip their hand up and say, that's me? I don't see any hands. I wonder if there's anybody that would just simply slip their hand up this morning and, those, and say, "Though, Pastor Mike, would you just please pray for me? If I'm honest with you, I've probably been living discouraged and defeated and maybe I find myself in maybe it's not a too desperate of a situation like the valley of the shadow of death but it sure does feel like it's close to that and i've just allowed life to overwhelm me i've taken my focus off of christ and i want to experience his goodness and i want to live in victory would you please pray for me is there anybody that would slip their hand up and say that's me that's my heart i see those hands all over this morning here's what i'm going to do i'm just going to give you 30 seconds right there in your seat i just want you to take a minute and just Talk to God. Let him speak to you in any way that he sees fit. And then I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to turn it over for the end of the service. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. or thank you for your love. Thank you that we are cherished objects of divine diligence. or that you have worked throughout history to send your son into this world to die on the cross for our sins. And I'm thankful that you're still working in this world even today that you have a plan that everything's going according to your plan that you're in control of all things that we can put our complete faith and trust and hope in you that we can live in victory would i pray that we would trust the good shepherd would i pray that we would drink from the water that you provide for us each and every day would i pray that we would feast on your promises would i pray that we would look forward to what's next that we would always believe that something better is coming because it truly is when our lives are lined up with you according to your word. Lord, bless this church in a special way, Lord. Help them as they go through this time of transition. I pray that you would unite them. I pray that you would bring them closer than they've ever been before. I pray that you would provide them the exact pastor that they need that would lead this church forward. Lord, I thank you for their huge goal that they have to put a a missionary in every single major country by 2035. Lord, I pray that you would burn that fire deep inside of their souls and that they would recognize how desperately they need your help for that to happen. But that we serve a God that nothing is impossible with you. And so, Lord, I pray that our faith would be big. I pray that our faith would be great in you, that we would live victorious lives and that we would impact this community for Christ, that, that this church would impact the world for Christ. Thank you so much that you give us that privilege. We'll give you all the praise and glory for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcasts or Google Play Store.